Thanks for listening to the Two Spies podcast. We went a little long in dealing with Genesis 4, so we decided to split it into two parts. This week, we'll be continuing the study in Genesis 4, starting at verse 11. Our goal is to really begin looking at one entire chapter a week. We're also looking at starting a new podcast and dealing with tough questions and topics that should start around July, so we'll be mentioning that as time goes on. Thanks for listening, and we hope you're getting something out of our conversation and being challenged to look for yourself and see what you're getting out of it. Let's see. You ready to go to verse 11? Yeah. Uh, And now you're a curse from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, this is verse 12, Mm -hmm. when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Uh, verse, I really don't have anything verse 11 that really stood out. Uh, verse 12, uh, looked up the word strength can also, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the word strength can also mean property, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, strength. Strength. What's the word, what's the word for strength there? I can't pronounce it. K-O. Hold on. I got to find it in. That's verse I can play in 12? my soundbite. That. Koach. Koach. Yeah, it's got that on the end. Yeah. You see that? Well, I shouldn't say koach. Koach. You see the little straight line under that last letter? Mm-hmm. That's an A ah like cat, not an A ah like uh, hot. Okay. Sometimes that's the only difference in, in two different conjugations of a, a word being a noun or a verb is just ah to ah okay but i did write down in uh, verse 11 man was taken from the dust of the ground the ground was uh to give man food after we sin god cursed the serpent to crawl on the ground and eat the dust he cursed the ground because of the man here he curses the man from the ground just and we already pointed out that uh, Cain was working the ground. This is his main deal. But now the ground opens its mouth to receive or eat the brother's blood. We're supposed to receive food to eat from the ground. Now the ground is receiving to eat or swallow up hmm. man's blood. Uh, JPS translates this: "You shall be more cursed than the ground." Uh, usually, the uh, the comparison of more than. Honestly, what I have found in different languages that the comparison grammar, how, how you arrange the grammar to compare the phrase more than, sometimes is pretty odd and complicated. <laughs> I can't do it. Like in Korean, we get things backwards all the time at home between me and Haysom because it's very hard to get the right arrangement of the wording for the more than. In the Hebrew, though, usually it is just the, the letter meme added onto the end, or excuse me, on the beginning of a word like a prefix. In this particular situation, it's the word min, which is usually from, from the ground. But like I said, the JPS, which is the Jewish Publication Society, they translate it as, you shall be more cursed than the ground. So we do see Hmm. the ground's cursed because of man, then the ground is cursed, uh, or man is cursed more than the ground. Hmm. Interesting. Verse verse 12, like I said, strength, uh, koach. Means can mean property, which I thought was interesting, and I'll tell you why. Uh, fugitive means uh, unstable or to move to and fro, which uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll get there in a second. And wonder just means aimless or homeless. Um, fugitive, where it talks about moving to and fro, Job chapter 2, verse 2. 2 2. 2 2. And the Lord said to jo- uh, excuse me, and the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. So I think it's interesting that uh, Satan is going to and fro and Cain being cursed uh, as a fugitive is now going to and fro the same path as Satan. Um, and then huh. it's pretty interesting. there is a verse in Second Chronicles where it says, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 
So again, that's like God's redemption um, yeah. going on that path with us. Um, it's God walking Satan and Cain's path to go bring somebody back who's willing to get off that path. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought, I just thought it was kind of interesting, uh, the to and fro thing as a fugitive. Uh, I looked a little bit at vagrant and wanderer, or, or whatever your English translation may be. Uh, vagrant is nuach, means to quiver, to shake, to tremble. This is related to, uh, or it is the same word that's added onto the end of Kadesh Barnea. I did a little study recently in Joshua 14, and when you look back at it, I think it's in Numbers 13, where Moses sends out the 12 spies, right? He sends them in one place uh, in the Torah, so that's from Moses. Uh, Moses refers to the place as uh, Kadesh. Later on, he refers to it as Kadesh Barnea. Bar means field. Kadesh means holy. Bar means field. Nua means uh, shaking or trembling. So it's almost like fearful. So he he calls it Kadesh in one place. It's holy. He sends out these 12 spies. And I want to, I wish I could remember, you know, to say for sure, but I want to say after he, after that uh, Numbers 13 mark, he refers to it as Kadesh Barnea because when they come back and tell the people the report, everybody is shaking and trembling and fearful. <laughs> so then in Joshua 14, when Caleb refers, when he's talking to Joshua, he says, remember when Moses sent us out from Kadesh Barnea? Caleb is there saying, I'm calling that place the nickname that Moses gave it. It's a part of Israel's history then. That was the holy place, but it became the holy field of trembling. It's the holy field of fear. And Moses is like, I'm renaming this place to make sure y'all always remember you didn't have faith here. <laughs> so you'll possibly recall this and, and do it better later. But here we have uh, in Joshua 14, here we have uh, Joshua and Caleb still using that same name that uh, Moses dubbed over it. But uh, Nua right here, is to quiver or to shake or to tremble. It has the same ideas moving back and forth. Wanderer is also nude. It comes from the same word as node. It's the land of node where he went to. We say nod in English, but it means to shake or to waver or to wander, or to move to and fro. So you have this idea of back and forth, back and forth, like you're talking about wandering to and fro. But because uh, you, you got to look on the map and say, where's the land of node? He's just wandering everywhere. That, well, yeah, that's a question. He's, he's got nowhere to, to just sit down and be, put down roots. Yeah. I want to ask your thoughts on verse 13. Are you good to go to 13? Sure. Um, verse 13 said, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Um, there's actually uh, several rabbi, rabbis who view this scripture as repentance rather than uh, Cain complaining, complaining. Do you, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. I kind of think it, it is Cain complaining to God. Um, the next few verses could indicate repentance <laughs> because God shows mercy by doing the mark. Yeah. Not to, uh, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are. The view well, of repentance. Let's follow versus, the mark in a second. Okay. Because I think it sure. goes along with what you just said, but I will say in my uh, my midrash notes right here uh, on those verses uh, thirteen through fifteen, this is the whole thing. It's a small paragraph. Although murder is a capital offense in biblical law, and they give a, a Exodus twenty one twelve example, which is after this time they don't know know that exists yet. The Lord yields to Cain's plea and protects him from the fate he inflicted on Abel. The irony is pungent. The man who could not tolerate God's inscrutable grace now benefits from it. So a midrash sees Cain as the first penitent and attributes his pardon to his repentance. Hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I'm seeing the same thing as far as uh, rabbinic commentary on that, that, yeah, he is the first guy to repent. But he, we, we can look back, though, and say, what was his answer? Just between Adam and Cain, what was the answer to the question, where are you? One is shamefully, guiltily honest. The other one makes a smart comment like, ask me right. where I am. What business is it yours? Yeah. You didn't want me around. I mean, it's and in the New Testament, like I quoted earlier, John talks <clears throat> about Cain being of the evil one. 
and uh, Jude talks about there is a way of Cain, which is destruction. So yeah. I think according to the New Testament guys, there really wasn't a repentance. I will take that simply because there's a lot of places we, we like Lot, we think, well, Lot was a, a filthy buggered you know, right. hanging out in, in Sodom. <laughs> yeah. But then there he is well, by Peter being supposedly labeled as living in torment among those sinners, like he really was a righteous man which is what Peter calls him. He says he's a righteous lot. Right. So I guess if we look at it and, and, and consider uh, what stuck with Cain throughout the rest of time is that he was known for not being repentant. Now, of course, we are also bring the New Testament into this, which those rabbis would not, they wouldn't yeah. consider it. So right. uh, following the mark for a moment, which is sum, he, or excuse me, he put or set he appointed the mark on the man. He assumed the, the mark on the man. He also assumed the man into the garden. Uh, he assumed an oath and signal or a mark or a banner. So an oath is a mark or signal or a banner. Some of the first places this shows up are the signs in the sky here in 415. And the, sky, the signs in the sky are, are uh, Genesis 114. Genesis 415 right here. Genesis 9, 12, and 3. What's the sign in the sky in 9, 12, and 3? The rainbow. Okay. That's the end of the flood. All right. And then we have a mark in Abraham's flesh in Genesis 17, 11, which would be circumcision. Right. I'm just following that through. I mean, he put he uh, he puts these marks in different places. So if we look and say, what are these marks for? Are they good? Are they bad? Are they blessings? Are they graces in a way? He puts the, the man in the garden. That same put there is a it's a a blessing kind of action that he's doing the first time. So if we follow that that concept for sum to to put or appoint, he's he's putting or appointing something uh, on this man for protection. So it seems to be a very graceful action. He uh, puts an oath, an oath, which is a signal, a mark, or a banner on him. That is the first time the signs in the sky. That's that's really. Uh, do we call it a blessing? We're talking about the the greater and lesser lights and the stars, right? Maybe that maybe those are not blessings or curses. They're just what's the word? Indifferent. Mm-hmm. There's indifferent uh, things that are there. Here it's the question, which is uh, one fourteen is the first one, four fifteen is the second one. Something that's the question we're wondering about. In twelve uh, nine, twelve and thirteen, that's referring to the rainbow in the sky after the flood. Obviously, a blessing and a covenant. Yeah of protection from himself, from you know, protecting man from God. And then in 1711, when he gives uh, Abraham the sign of the flesh, he mm-hmm. puts that oath in him. It's also a, a covenant of blessing. Mm-hmm. So I can't say that I know whether or not, I don't think by what we just discussed that Cain is repentant. It does sure. look like God is again, graceful. Yeah. God um, wins again. <laughs> if you can't turn to Ezekiel nine, um, I, again, when I was looking through Genesis, I also looked at things I disagree with, uh, commentary wise, uh, non-Messianic Jews for one. I, I just think they have some kind of interesting in- takes on scripture. Uh, and then I, obviously just normal biblical commentaries, but there's two commentaries. I wish I could remember the names. Um, but a, a non-Messianic Jewish rabbi, uh, appointed, these scriptures as a cross reference to the Mark of Cain, and as did a Christian in his commentary saying um, that he he wasn't saying this was true, but um, he leans towards this. Uh, chapter nine, verses four through six. Okay, and the Lord said to him, "This uh, let me set it up though, because sure. okay. uh, then he cried the ears with a loud voice into my ears with a loud voice. Who is he crying?" I think at this point he is, he's been taken back in vision to Jerusalem. So he is the Lord. Uh, Then he cried in my ears with a loud voice saying, bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand. And with them was a man clothed in linen with a writing case at his waist. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory, this is verse three. Now the glory of the Lord of 
uh, excuse me, now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold to, of the house. And he called to the man clothed in the linen who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan, who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others he said, In my hearing, Pass through the city after him and strike. Your eyes shall not spare, and you shall not show pity. Kill old men outright, kill young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the house. You stop there. Yeah, so you kind of see that how that how that can possibly be attributed to Cain, um, as far as God saying don't touch people with the mark in the forehead, but they have a mark in the forehead, so. The commentaries were talking about uh, a popular belief, and obviously there is that uh, revelation about the mark of the beast on the revelation forehead, or eleven, I think. Or well, so, so I think there's before a, the mark of the beast on the right hand or the forehead. That's that's given by the unholy trinity. Before that, there is a mark. Uh, what's the wording? A seal. There's a seal placed on the hundred forty-four thousand. That's in chapter six, I believe. So we always say the seven seals of Revelation, but there are 144,000 and seven seals. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I say that, I point that out because God marks his people and then the devil marks his people. Right. Um, I want to go back just a second to verse 14. Um, driven away from the ground. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. He's driven away from what he was supposed to be doing or what he was, uh, I don't know that what his job was. And now he's driven away from it. I don't really under, I don't really don't know what that means in its full detail, but um, I did a little searching on that and I thought it was interesting. I think was it, you said that's verse 12. Let me get back to verse 14. I was looking at Ezekiel when I said that I wasn't thinking on the brain, just reading what my <laughs> eyes saw. So Genesis four fourteen. Yes. Behold, you have driven me away from the ground, Adama, the ground. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the edits, the earth. I just thought, why are they using both words here? It, as I go back and look at the first one that comes in the Bible, and the very first verse is edits. Edits is kind of uh, a broader sense of land. It's the broader sense of the, the planet. Or, or the the pancake, if you're a flat earther. <laughs> but it's the whole thing. And then man was, let's say man, Adam, was taken from the Adamah when he was created. Now, in this verse, we already know that Cain is an Obed. He's a servant of the Adamah. So Eretz is a, is a bigger thing, a broader thing. Adamah is getting more specific towards man in the creation. And we see that word starting to be used as he gets closer to creating man. And man was taken from the Adamah, not from the edits. So we always hear about the relationship with God in the Bible. And it looks to me like God is making a, uh, the creation and he gets more specific down into relationship, making man. Remember we talked about the Afar and some of the details that were involved in him creating him there. It looks like he, God is tunneling down into a specific thing. And at this point, this one who is a servant of the ground God takes the first murderer and sends him away. And he says, you're going to go out and wander over the edits. So he goes out into the broad emptiness away from God's presence. Yeah. Almost like a chiastic type situation uh, grammatically. Yeah, that was another interesting thing. Poetically, I should say. Because he said, from your face, I'll be hidden. Yeah. Like there's no more relationship. I, I don't say it as, I don't take it as God's presence because I, obviously I believe God's everywhere. But yeah. I believe it's almost like he's being that relationship that, that, that there's an, that's another reason why there's that toying idea of repentance or complaining. There's, it seems to be, there's uh God's grace is shown by marking him that no one's going to kill him. Well, that's God's grace. Maybe he did repent, but then there's this part of God. I'm going to be hidden from you. I'm going to be a wanderer from the earth. I'm going to be aimlessly going to and fro I'm not going to be able to settle, which we'll get to in a second. Um, <laughs> but 
you know, I'm going to be hidden from you. That relationship's going to be cut off. And obviously, you know, he says, this is more than I could bear, um, which, you know, it, it is. But um, so I don't know, I, you know, I don't know if it's technically repentance or not, but uh, kind of. I can't say it. I, I, I mean, to leave it on the table, I can't say I think he's repentant. Yeah. Just doesn't seem that way overall. No, and, I, I don't see that either. And I'm relying more on, instead of relying on rabbinic commentary, I'm relying more on New Testament commentary written by Jews closer to the time than the rabbis were who probably yeah. wrote those, those, those commentaries. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, dealing with the first part of uh, verse 15, um, God's replied, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Kind of looked at that number, and it seems to indicate like an indefinite number and an endless number. I know Jesus was asked a question: How many times shall I forgive this guy, Jesus? And Jesus says seventy times seven. You know, it's it's like a. It doesn't mean a literal number; it just means like an infinitive, a metaphor for continuing. So, when I see God saying, "Whoever kills Cain, they're going to deal with me." <laughs> And here it's showing that God does not want martyr. Let God be the avenger. Let God take the avenge. Not don't put it in our hands. And I yeah. think that's why God is <clears throat> God is trying his best right here to stop things from happening. Yeah. He's putting everything he can. Um he Cain's going away from his presence, from his face. He's going to be a wanderer on the rest of the earth. Um obviously Adam and Eve are gonna have other children. And so there's going to be people around the earth and Cain's just, <laughs> Cain's a butthead. He's got angry, he's got anger issues, but now he's leaving the presence of God. Who knows what he's going to be like. And so people are going to probably want to kill him. But God, through his grace, I don't think it's a repentant, a repentant mood, mood, uh, move uh, to put the mark on Cain. I think it's God doing what he can to stop uh, this continuation yeah. of sin, like guys, we got to get in. And, and again, he'll be replaced later, which we'll talk about. But well, like we said, though, this whole deal of putting this mark on him is a very uh, graceful move of God. Yeah. God gives grace before we're repentant. Yeah. And that's common New Testament theology. And we all know that one. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So 17. Uh, so I got some things on verse 16. Go ahead. Uh, I'll read it. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, which to me is one of the saddest things to read. Um, and he, here's where I don't have an answer. <laughs> Unfortunately, I wish I did. I'm um, settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Um, there's I have a lot of things in this verse. Um, again, the presence, the word could also mean face, which we talked about earlier where um, he's no longer in that relationship. He's away from God's face, not necessarily God's presence. Um, out, nod means wandering or homeless. The exact same word um, that's used. Uh, telling, so it's not necessarily a place. Obviously, I think Cain named it nod because of that. The thing I'm confused on is if Cain is going to and fro, if he is supposed to be a wanderer for the rest of his life. If he's supposed to be a fugitive on the run, um, he's, you know, the, he's away from the ground, all this. Why does it use the word settled in the land? Cause he's not supposed to be settling. Uh, you shub. Would you consider it? Would that be just like a disobedience? <clears throat> but I don't, I well, mean, I'm, I must see God saying, I don't think it means he built a house of, of, he didn't make bricks and build a house in one place. And, Get the power company to come out here and put power in it and right. call the phone company to get some internet. He's establishing a, a lot. Okay. I don't think that means that he's still, we would say he's a nomad or a tent dweller. Um, but it, Yeshab is to dwell or to remain or to abide. If he remains in the land of Nod, he's staying in that area over there. He's dwelling in that area over there. He inhabits that area over there. That area could be the size of Iraq. <laughs> so, gotcha. I don't, I don't think it, it necessarily means he is 
settling down in Go one spot. All, I got I got you. Yeah, he may be he may be wandering around to and fro, but he also may be settling in that land. That and he the, just named Nod. Right, and whoever. he don't know where the boundaries are because there's nobody else out there besides True. him and his wives. Good point. <clears throat> this is one of those things we see all the time in the Bible where it says one thing, then it says another thing, and <laughs> yeah. it seems like they're contradicted, but then again, once you talk it out, it's like, I can see how these are both true. Yeah. Somehow or another, Judas hanged himself, and then he fell headlong into that field and burst wide open. Yeah. Uh, he could have easily hanged himself, the rope broke, then he fell headlong and burst wide open when he hit the ground. Right. So both could be true. Yeah. But it seems like when you, you know, like on a first read, this right here is like, well, that can't be right. But uh, verse 17, Cain knew his wife. Okay. So the first question is, where did Cain and Abel get their wives? <laughs> uh, a lot of people point to ver- chapter five, verse four. Five where, where verse. It talked about they had other sons and daughters, Adam and Eve, and they started populating the earth. Yeah. And I was going to say my first answer after I realized this one day, my first answer is Abel had no wife. Next. <laughs> <laughs> so he had a wife that says it. I don't know. I'm saying Abel. No, no, no. Cain killed him. He had no wife. Right. Cain had a wife. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. It comes from Adam and Eve's other daughters. And like we talked about, Genesis isn't very chronological in a, in one sense. Obviously, creation starts, but then it goes back in chapter two, back to creation and kind of details the creation of man. Right. And, um, we we refer to those as uh, prequels. The, yeah. the movie that comes out about a character with more details that you've already seen in another movie that came out before yeah. that, who was a general character then. So obviously, I believe Seth is their second child. So Cain doesn't have a wife before Seth is born. So obviously, if since this isn't going in chronological order, uh, they had other sons and daughters could indicate that Cain eventually they began to spread out among the world, and Cain found a wife within that group. So um, that's why I mentioned that the Genesis isn't necessarily chronological. Just to make. Of course, I don't have any problem with thinking that, uh, of course, Adam and Eve came down the garden. Then they had Cain and Abel. Right. Cain and Abel grew up old enough to be men who were doing their own thing. One was watching flocks. One was keeping uh, farms and stuff. Mm-hmm. They grew old enough to have their own relationship with God. So they're around for a while. There's nothing that says Adam and Eve didn't have other daughters, but they didn't have other sons. Of course, also, I guess we could say this too. If they had other sons and daughters, these first two were Cain and Abel. We know that. Maybe it just wasn't important to them until uh, Cain kills Abel. This whole situation takes place. If there's already other siblings alive, Cain picks one out, takes her for a wife. He heads off. Yeah, that's true. And then Eve now says, as we looked at uh, Hebel's name while ago, that he is a, what was it, a uh, a vain hope, a hope unfulfilled. She says, let's say they have other sons and daughters. She says, well, we lost one now. Let's, let's have another one specifically to refill, to remake what Abel was to us. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe he was actually the third son. There still could be other daughters born after Cain and Abel because, uh, don't take this the wrong way, of course, but we we both know that the daughters are not included because they're not necessary for the genealogy that we're looking at here. We're trying to get to, I mean, the main thing we're trying to get to next is Noah. Next thing we're trying to get to after that would be Abraham, et cetera. Well, here's why I said that Seth would be the third was verse 25, which we'll, we'll hit in a second. I yeah. Mean, it's not set in stone. That he I would not get against that but, one either, really. But like I said, there's, there's gaps throughout this chapter that we don't really necessarily know for a fact. Um, uh, verse 17, stay on that verse. Um, when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Um, if, if I don't know if my memory's wrong. Isn't Enoch a city for 
Nimrod. Uh, wanderers and refuge or wanderers, technically. What do you mean? You know, there's different cities, like there's sanctuary cities or cities for groups. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't remember that one. Okay. I thought, this, I thought the city of Enoch was uh, a city of fugitives. And... Let me look up right here and just see if Enoch's a city name other than. Yeah, I'm looking to. Eldest son of yeah. Cain, son of Yadad, and father of Methuselah, the city which Cain built and named after his son. Hanok is another form. It's another English transliteration of the same name, but it means dedicated also. The son of Midian, the third child, and the eldest son of Reuben. This seems to be the only son, I mean, excuse me, the only city named Hanok. Okay. There must be some uh, like-named, like-sounding name city that has spurred your memory. Yeah, it, it just, anyway. I don't remember what they were, and I've got them marked. When I, whenever I read through the through the Bible, then I end up coming across that and say, "Okay, there's all of them underlined." <laughs> but dummy, I haven't uh, re- remembered them all myself. So yeah. Well, any thoughts on uh, any more thoughts on seventeen? Uh, not necessarily. No. Okay. I did go through right here because we did it earlier. We went through uh, some name meanings and stuff, and we're going to do this in chapter five. So I wanted to do this also. This this kind of reveals the same stuff that we uh, found from the names of the rivers, meaning they all meant to spread out, uh, to go out. So we we kind of knew from the the overall meanings of all their names bursting forth that the rivers named by God we think intend to say that man most likely was not meant to stay right there in the garden, and God knew they were going right. to get out or be pushed out. So I did a little study throughout the names right here in Cain's line just to see what is uh, an overall feeling. So we already have uh, Cain, which is spear or to get, to acquire, to possess, to have something to, or you said to create also. <clears throat> this one right here, uh, Hanuk, is dedicated. It comes from Hanuk, means to train or to train up, to dedicate or to inaugurate. And I, I guess I should say at the beginning of this also, I don't really see uh, too many things. Some things are just not related at all. It seems like Cain names his son dedicated, then names the city dedicated. He seems to try to actually be doing a right thing here, possibly, like he's setting us something aside. But um, the reason I say that it goes with the idea or the concept of kadosh, it's if something is sanctified, set aside, set apart, it is holy. So saints are holy, holy things. Uh, Aaron's crown or his mitre would say, Kadosh Ladonai, holy to the Lord. He is set apart to the Lord. So this kind of, this dedication, inauguration type idea that he is naming his son, the name of the city, seems to be kind of like maybe he's trying to do something different. Maybe he's, of course, also he is building a city when he was supposed to be going out and wandering (laughs) around. I just ate my own words right there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, you can still build and be a wonder. I yeah. Think. I mean, yeah. it doesn't mean that you're going to settle. It means your kids are going to settle and you'll move to the next place. Well, yeah, you got people who are rolling stones and that really does curse their family in a way. They never settle down. Their kids never take root. And yeah. you see it in the in the lives of those kids when they become adults and they have kids. Yeah. So uh, so this kind of, that, that kind of goes along with uh, and keeps in, in the next couple of names here, Irad, Enoch, had irad, and irad means fleet. It comes from arad, which means wild ass. I saw that, and I was going to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just looking them up as you were talking. I so was like, that's a fleet, great... fleet is kind of like running away or fleeting or fast running, but arad, a wild ass, gives you this idea, this wild donkey out on the mountains eating what it wants to and never being bridled. <clears throat> either way, we see that that falling out in both their in their lives. Either way, so the next one, the son uh, Mahuyael, is smitten by God. It's the first name in the Bible connect, containing the word El, which is the word for God. Oh. Uh, let's see. It comes from. So here's something you end up seeing a lot in the Bible. So this is the first word that involves the the name or the word God, El. 
most names have L and some verb. So it's just a, a habit we see. They start it right here. Mechuya El. Mechak comes from to wipe, or it means to wipe out, to obliterate, to blot out the memory of. So either this one is blotted out uh, by God or Irad, his wild ass, his, yeah, his wild ass father, literally is trying to say, blot out the memory of God. That's one thing that always occurs to me. When you look up a name, great, it has a meaning, and you think their parents gave birth to this kid and decided to call him what? <laughs> <laughs> and they settled on Mahuyael. So anyway, Mahuyael has a kid, and he decides to call him Methushael. Um, Methushael is who is of God, intending to mean like the man who is of God. The funny thing is that there is... This does actually, if you were to look up Methuselah and Methushael right here, they have the same meaning, basically. And when you start breaking down the, the parts of the words, uh, mat, or the first word met, first, the first particle of it, means male or man. That comes from mati, or matai, which is a uh, when. We always take it in Methuselah's name, and we say uh, Methuselah, Selah is a rest. So when and rest, when this man is born, rest, or excuse me, when this man dies, it is rest because met mut also means death. So matai is when, mat is man, mut is death. All together right there in that one little syllable, you almost have when this man dies, selah, rest, or a ceasing. Either way, this man right here has that same syllable at the beginning. But to me, I'm thinking, where is this? Uh, in the in the middle right here, you have tush, uh, matushel. L on the end, so you take that off to see what you have left. You have matush. A lot of Hebrew words uh, become nouns by adding a, a meme or a nun onto it. So the yorad, the yarad, is a descendant. It's a descending one or a going down one. The Yordan, you add that nun on the end, it's the descending one. It's the biggest river in the land. We call it the one, it's the descending thing. Hmm. Rivers go down. They they descend down a place. But, uh, so that would mean the root here would be tush. Tush, and I couldn't find it anywhere in the Bible being used, so I had to look in a uh, my regular Hebrew dictionary, which is modern Hebrew. Tush means the one who resides. It's a possible, uh, a resident. So it's the one who resides with God. Lemic, you don't really get. It's an uncertain meaning of a root, but it means powerful. Ida, which is one of Lemic's wives, means ornament. So she was obviously just a pretty thing. Good enough. <laughs> Good enough for me. Uh, let's see. Lemic with Ada has Yabal. Yabal comes from Yabal. There's a little, only a slight difference there in, in the, the vowel. One means stream of water. The one uh, His name actually means stream of water. The verb he comes from means to bring or to lead or to carry, to conduct along. So a stream of water kind of goes along a land. It carries water along. Uh, let's see. His father is... He was the father, excuse me. Yabal is the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Though he lived in a tent, he seems to be fairly stationary. It looks like he's living by a creek, or maybe maybe he was born by a creek. Uh, let's see. His mikna, his cattle or his livestock, comes from uh, Cana, which is where Canaan's name comes from, to get, to acquire, to possess. So possibly he had cattle, he had livestock, he lived by a stream. You're not going to take cattle and livestock and move far away from water sources, <laughs> right? But uh, also, cattle and livestock, that's related to the word to get or to acquire or to possess. So that's where we get this idea where uh, later on, Abraham has a whole lot of livestock, so we say he was a rich man. Job had a lot of livestock, he was a rich man. And the great stroke of uh, genius um, creativity that the parents have here, Lamech and, and his wife, they have another son and call him Yubal. 
first name son, uh, first name, yeah, first son's name is Yabal. The second one's name is Yubal. First one means stream. The second one means stream. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> really, really uh, diverse there. So this guy is the father of all who play the lyre or the pipe. Uh, just referenced a couple of different places. Psalm 150, verse 4. And basically that just uh, gives you another place that these uh, these words show up that are these instruments. The pipe is the agab. It is related to the, the verb for to lust. There's a reference once in Jeremiah and six times in Ezekiel about this, that it has bad connotations every time, this pipe. And we're thinking of a pipe instrument, but it also is related to the word for lust. So you kind of see possibly what is music is being used for there. Parties and stuff, possibly. Uh, man's not really changed a lot since we've been around, right? Let's see. Has bad connotations in Ezekiel 23.4 to Samaria, which is Israel's capital. And in Jerusalem, which is Judah's capital, whoring after other nations, governors, commanders, warriors, horsemen, horses. Then we have uh, Zillah, his second wife. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, Limit's wife, Ada, and his wife, Zillah. Zillah means shade. Comes from Zel or Zalal, shadow, or to become dark. She's probably a black woman. So, I mean, I think that's real plain there. She's dark. Yeah. We're going to call her dark. She had Tubal Cain. Uh, brought hey, or. Tubal Cain was a good. Uh... He was good in uh, the movie Noah. <laughs> Sorry. He was a good villain. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, it means uh, the part that's added on there, Tubal, is brought or produced. So he is brought or produced from Cain. There, I mean, Zilla and Lemek are, are linking right back to their ancestor. I think this is, this is seven descendants. Yeah, I think Tubal Cain is seven descendants down from Cain. He is the forger of instruments, all bronze, copper. Uh, so the word here is uh, nekoshet. Nekoshet is bronze, copper, or fetters, meaning these are shackles or chains. It's also, let's see, how is it linked? It's possibly linked to lust and harlotry. This also links back to the nakash. Nakash was the serpent, which we know is linked to divination. Hmm. I'm getting at something with all these different things. What these guys are involved in making and doing is what we're looking at for a moment here. Uh, last one is Naamah. No, excuse me. Let's look at iron because he, he uses bronze and iron. Iron is barzel. It's iron ore. Figuratively, it's harshness. And that means it, this, this word barzel is sometimes used in Scripture figuratively as harshness like uh Messiah is going to come and rule with a rod of iron. That concept, if you picture that in your mind. Harshness, strength, or oppression. Numbers 35, 16 says, if you strike someone down with an object of iron, you are a murderer, period. Hmm. Just because of how they die. Even if, what was that? strong if it, they can start a murder to get hit by it. I mean, that thing must be. You think about this, though, because there is the story of not Elisha, but Eliyah. He has his disciples there down by the creek cutting down some trees. He says, oh, no, teacher, I was swinging this axe, and the head came off and landed in the water. Remember that story? <laughs> yeah. So the head comes off the axe when he's swinging it. It could have hit somebody in the head. It could have killed somebody. It was unintentional. But by the law, if he had hit somebody with this iron tool, <laughs> he's a murderer. Yeah. Not, not, not a good thing there, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, last name is uh, Naamach. She was the sister of Tupelkain, daughter of Zilla. Name means loveliness. It's related to Naam, pleasantness, or uh, hmm. Naam. It's the same. It's, it's related also to the, na the name uh, Naomi. Okay. Okay, so this is where I wanted to flip over for just a second and touch something that many people will disagree with. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> this is... Uh, Let's see how how is it worded? Non canonical, biblically attested text, Book of Enoch. 
Most of the time when people yeah, most of the time people go to the book of Enoch, uh, they grab out two or three things because they are studying the Nephilim and the Watchers. So they grab out just a handful of things, and they usually say, the book of Enoch says, and they never actually go there and read it for you. I wondered one day, so, I, I mean, Enoch is another book you can just download as an iBook. Right. I don't know, it's another 5 or $10 book or whatever. So I downloaded it, and I started reading it just to see what's in it. Some of the stuff they say is there is there. It is a drop in the bucket. There is constant indication of his endless visions he saw god and another one like him that he refers to as the elect one he refers to another one as the spirit of the lord enoch saw in in enoch's book he saw visions of the trinity he saw all three of them in his different visions so most of his book that i have i haven't completed the whole thing i've i think i've completed probably around 70 percent of it the seventy of the seventy percent I have read, about maybe five percent is about the watchers and the angels of the fallen ones, and this whole situation of angels leading men astray. It, that we, we'll get into it in Genesis six. Yeah. The rest of that seventy percent is is all about his visions in heaven, seeing God and. Well, I mean, the Book of Enoch, which we'll get into, like you said, Genesis chapter six, but um, it was actually considered to be a part of the apocrypha at one point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was, um, I don't know if it was actually included in the Septuagint or I think it was. I'm not sure about that, but you're probably going to say it anyway, Jude and some others like yeah. Peter we'll, reference it. We'll get into that. but it, Yeah, it was accepted stuff, but uh, I don't have much here, but I do want to read through this just to say this is what's normally shown. And here is why it impacts this particular chapter we're reading. So Book of Enoch, this is chapter uh, 6. And it came to pass when the children of men had multiplied that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels, the children of the, uh, the children of the heaven, saw and lusted after them and said to one another, Come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men and beget us children. And Semyaza, who was their leader, also said unto them, I fear ye will not indeed agree to do this deed, and I alone shall have to pay for the penalty of a great sin. And they all answered him and said, Let us all swear an oath and all bind ourselves by mutual imprecations not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. So Semyaza wants to do something. He already knows it's wrong, and he's afraid he's going to be doing it wrong by himself. So they say, We're going to come with you. We're all going to do it. Then swear they all together and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And they were in uh, all two hundred who descended in the days of Jared on the mountain on the summit of Mount Hermon, and they called it Mount Hermon because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And these are the names of their leaders. And it gives you the names, uh, let's see, the very first one is Semyazaz, their leader. The first mention of Semyaza says that's their leader, so that's obviously a pretty related name. It's probably the same guy. But you go from there, and it gives you a name of a bunch of uh, different angels. Uh, Zachiel, Aniel, Batarel, Daniel, Ezekiel, Barakiel. And you see, usually, the name of, or the word of God is on the end of their names. They're angels, after all. Uh, and they would be stuff like Kokabiel. Uh, I think Kokabim is stars. Kokabiel would be the star of God. In the last verse you see there in chapter 6 is, these are the chiefs of tens. So each one of these appear to be in a hierarchy over tens or groups of tens. Next chapter, this is where it kind of gets good into feeding into uh, Genesis 4 and the line of Cain. And all the others together with them took unto themselves wives and each chose for himself one and they began to go into them and to devour themselves with them. And they taught them charms and enchantments and the cutting of roots and made them acquainted with plants. So they basically taught them uh, sorcery and stuff. They became pregnant and they bare great giants whose height was 3,000 L's, whatever an L unit is, like an inch or whatever, uh, centimeter, who consumed all the acquisitions of men. 
And when men could no longer sustain them, it's talking about the giants that were born, consumed all the things that the men had. When the men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. And they began to sin against birds and beasts and reptiles and fish and to devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. Then the earth lay, uh, laid accusation against the lawless ones. This is chapter 8. This is a little beginning here. And Azazel, this is another one of the angels, which you'll be familiar with that name probably. And Azazel taught men and make, uh, to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates and made known to them the metals of the earth and the art of working them and bracelets and ornaments and the use of antimony and the beautifying of eyelids. I think antimony is uh, makeup. The beautifying of eyelids, of course, is makeup. Uh, and all kinds of costly stones and the coloring, uh, all coloring tinctures, so uh, dyes. Taught them how to dye things, how to work metals, how to make bracelets and pretty things. Taught the women how to be pretty. So we see the angels here teaching people how to do uh, basically things that will point to, to war. Swords, shields, breastplates, metals. How to point to war. How to point to jewels and gems, crowns things that are worth money, how to, uh, they're pointing them towards lust. So that's what I'm, I'm getting at here is these, some of these men here are said to be, it, it, it's odd if you take the, uh, the Bible college seminary explanation of Genesis six, that these are the line of Cain. The line of Cain was probably very tied up and wrapped up in all these Nephilim, these fallen ones, these watchers. And the fact that they were taught how to do all the things that they are doing by these ones who are bringing in outside knowledge, meaning outside of uh, mankind, outside right. of the world. There's there's more here, but uh, like Cocobel, the one I said was a star of God, he teaches them about constellations. Hmm. But Akiel teaches them about astrology. So, uh, I mean, they're teaching them all kind of things. And all kind of other uh, signs and religions and this kind of stuff, what, what to follow. So, interesting. There's Dern Nephilim. <laughs> Two chapter, well, one chapter away now. Yeah, not very far now. Uh, I just mentioned uh, Lamech was the first man to have two wives. Polygamy is introduced. Uh, so, kind of sin going further and further, messing things up. Yeah. Uh, you know, Lamech killed someone following the steps of his ancestor. You talked about how the way Lamech and and his wives were sticking to the generation going back to Cain. I think it's interesting that he's the one that followed in the ancestral footstep by kill, by murdering yeah. someone. And then uh, verse 24, you know, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold, you know, emphasizing really that no one should touch me. Um, yeah. He could be boasting. It could be a warning to anyone who tries to kill him, you know, watch out. Or he could just be uh, defending himself and justifying that, hey, when I kill this person, it's, it, it's, it, I did it as defense or I did it not because whatever. So if you kill me, you're going to be, you don't have to deal with, you know, whatever. So there's different viewpoints on that. I'd, I was going to say real simple. Uh, he seems to be calling his wives together to say, I killed this guy for wounding me. He did a small thing. I went too far. I think he has guilt and he wants to get it out. That's and then this, this young man, he struck me. Maybe these two guys were ganging up on him. Yeah. And he got the better know. of them and he happened to kill them. Possibly. Uh, but uh, he seems to be coming and saying, I killed two people for only bruising and striking me. I know I went too far and what I returned to them. So, yeah. and, and, and <laughs> then he goes right to this protection curse or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like he's saying, uh, I know what God did last time someone killed somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting that apparently Cain has been telling these people. This hey, is the story. This, this is the history. Is yeah. I mean, yeah, I killed somebody. And, uh, you know, so apparently it's been written down. Yeah. Uh, well, verse 25 and 26, I think kind of breaks away from the narrative, the narrative and kind of gives into chapter five, which 
is a replacement of Abel and um, talking about Seth. Um, so maybe we should just add 25 and 26 going into chapter 5. Kind of in with. There's a, a concept here. I actually disagree with one of my favorite teachers on this. He's always said this, and it's like, I just don't see that there because I see, state it, you know, plainly. Um, in verse 26, to Seth was a uh, son was born also, and he called the name Enosh. Mm-hmm. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Missler is the teacher. He always says, that this has a uh, a rough connotation as in they started swearing on or swearing by or just speaking nastily about the Lord. Oh. <clears throat> if this is Seth, we're back with Adam and Eve, not Cain's line. We're looking at what uh, seminary explanation says is Bible college explanation says this is the good guys. Yeah. So – uh, what I have done is cross-referenced right here in my Bible just uh, simply over to Genesis twelve eight. So the verb here is kara, and it's, there's no strange arrangement of grammar on it. Let's see. If I go right back to it, what is it? Lekara um, b'shem uh, Adonai. That's pretty much it. There's not really some odd connotation of them speaking really, really harshly of God and by uh, calling on the name of the Lord. So the one I reference over to is Genesis 12, 8. From there he moved, this is about Abraham. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And it's... Uh, it's exactly the same. Hmm. So I'm just just sitting there. Uh, uh, the name Yahweh or Yahweh or Yifveh or however you want to say it is mentioned before this, all the way back in chapter two, beginning. But uh, it seems like there is a. I guess we could go back also and say, oh, I haven't done this. Okay, this is one of those prequel ideas, I believe. They're giving us a rundown of Cain's descendancy here. Then we go back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve has a third son, Seth. At that time, people started calling on the name of Yahweh. If we go back, let's see, the very first mention of, come on, Internet, the first mention of the name Jehovah Yahweh is Genesis 2, 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So this is recapping the creation of man, the bringing of the animals for them to name them, the making of the woman, took the rib out, I don't know, it's kind of odd that it says this is the, at this time they started calling on it, but they're actually going back with Adam and Eve to Seth and Enosh, which would be kind of the generation of Cain and Enoch. They wouldn't really be at the end of this generation of Tubal Cain. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what Mister. I was just looking at one of the words in that uh, sentence and uh, verse. And began, um, though it can mean beginning, um, which I think, I mean, obviously it's translated beginning, but um, based on the root word, it could also mean to pollute, defile, or profane. Huhal? Or huhal? Yes. Maybe, uh, maybe that's the one he's. Uh, but it also, like I said, to. it could also mean just begin in a general term. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I recognize this word. It is, uh, okay, so like you got the, it, it comes from a base verb, halal. The, this, and the reason I noticed this is because it just stuck with me easily because the verb halal is to praise, like hallelujah. Halal, halal. 
there's there's about an ink dot worth of distant difference in the actual writing of it. And it just hit me one day that one means to praise and one means to profane. But I have seen this also used in good connotation. Uh, I was saying there's there's goods and bads that I see here. I mean, okay, just starting from uh, Zechariah seven in the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Kislev. Now the uh, people of Bethel had sent Shadazer and Ragimelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priest of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? The word of the Lord of hosts came to me, say to all the people of the land of the priests, when you have fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh month for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? So here's what got odd to me in this verse when I started looking at it one day. Um, you see no indication in verse 1 of who's doing what. Verse 2 starts out with va, meaning and, va yishlach. Yishlach is shalach to send, and it's yishlach, that's he. It's, it's uh, third person, singular, masculine. So the English says, now the people of Bethel sent, Shedazer and Grimelech. The people of Bethel did not send. That would be a plural, they conjugation that's not how it is the only thing here we start looking at the whole thing is look back in verse one you get the lord the word of the lord came to zechariah he tells you when then it says and he sent that's what the next one starts out with and he sent beth el the house of god sar ezer the sar is ruler a prince, as it is, is saying it's fire. It's a foreign der, uh, derivation, foreign root, but prince of fire. Regimelech is the king's heap. Regim is friend. Ragam is a stone. I just started looking at this, and this has been a long time ago, but this heap of stones, the king's stones. And he sent these these men that, he, that are named here, the king's stones. I, I kind of saw that as us. We are the, uh, the living stones that, are, that belong to the king to build the, if you want to call it the tabernacle, you want to call it the church or whatever you want to call it, right. the temple that the Holy Spirit is coming to live in that Peter talks about. But and he sent these living stones, the king's heap, to entreat the favor of the Lord. Hmm. He sent them to halal the favor of the Lord. The only thing I can make of that when I found this a while back was uh, actually seek favor is halal. It's not two separate words. So we look at that and it's uh, the, the root verb, chala, to become weak to become sick, to become diseased, to become sorry, to be grieved. So this goes back to Genesis 4, the reason we're looking for this silly little verb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. They began to entreat the favor of the Lord. Yes, it can mean halal as in profane right. but it can also mean to become weak or to become sorry yeah or to entreat the favor of this is the one spot i was looking for to find the the good side <laughs> of this verb well i think in the context and that we'll talk about next week uh in the verses to follow i think in that context it's obviously not profane it's yeah it's good if they well. were saying this came from cain's side I, I would agree yeah it could mean profane right but on 
He's just, replacing Abel and God's blessings all over this lineage. Yeah. Really? Oh, well, God's blessings went with the lineage who didn't want him and God's blessings on this one. Yeah. So, and he, we know he's been talking constantly to man. Again, thanks for listening to David and I. We really appreciate you subscribing and listening to our conversations and our Bible study. In July, we'll be starting a new podcast that'll deal with uh, tough questions, tough topics, and interviews and more. Next week, we'll be dealing with Chapter 5 in Genesis. Remember to visit our blog at twospies.net.